Well, praise God. Well, we're going to continue in worship through the word of God this morning. And um, I'm just going to jump right into it. We have a few things to, 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 to we want to get through today, I guess, you know, some things we want to think about and, and, and talk about. This Sunday is going to be a little different than most Sundays. If you're here all the time, you'll probably think it's a little different, maybe not so much, but uh, probably a little different this morning than, than most times. I want to remind you of something. This really wasn't on my agenda, but I want to, I want to go back to something we said last week. Uh, we're going to be talking today about um, the church, the Big C Church and the Little C Church, meaning the local congregation. But one of the things I want to talk about this morning is in every song I heard it, praise God for his sovereignty over all things. But I want to remind you that, um, you know, Jesus died for our sins, and, and uh, we have the cross up here for a reason, you know, to be a constant reminder of his sacrifice. The cross is empty for a reason. It's a constant reminder of his resurrection, and our call to be people who are resurrection people, a new creatures in Christ Jesus. And there's so much kind of theology packed into all of our words there, packed into all of our, 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 the thoughts behind all those things that we don't often spend time talking about them. But one of the things I want to do real quick is I want to jump back to something we said last week. I, I, I'm, and we, you've heard us before, but this is kind of the, the Great Commission. And, and I want to point something out to you. Uh, you've heard this before. It says, Jesus then came to them. When the 11 went to Galilee, Jesus then came to them, right, and said these things. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And last week we talked about that idea of, you know, um, teaching them to obey. But today we're going to talk about maybe what's encapsulated in that promise of what we call the Great Commission. Uh, or the, what, what's encapsulated, the promise that, that encapsulates the Great Commission is probably the way I should say that. That Jesus begins this passage by saying that all authority has been given to him. And then at the end he says, and surely I'm going to be with you. Which means that right now, that's still true for you and I. And so I want to kind of just start there this morning um, as we begin to kind of discuss these things. And, and uh, um, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, kind of centering prayer to kind of bring us in the, the right heart and mind before Christ our Lord. Join me in praying. Father, this morning, we, we've come into your house of worship with praise on our lips, thanksgiving in our hearts, joy in our lives, and, and um, not, not like an artificial kind of make it up joy, but a real internal spring kind of a joy that comes from the inside out. We pray, Father, that that is pleasing to you. Uh, we pray, Father, that in every way that we're tempted to put on masks or fake it, that we wouldn't, but that we would be honest before you this morning, and that we would allow you to do your work in our lives, that we could, we could truly be broken before you so that we might be healed rather than self-deceived. And Father, in every way possible, we pray that we would, as much as we are able, we would give ourselves over to you during this time. And then we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do your work in our lives. And that's our big prayer, that you would move and that your glory be known to each one of us and to all of us. May we learn more today about who we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We praise things in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to, so we're, today's kind of different. We're going to talk about some things about Family Bible Church, maybe, but, but not just about Family Bible, but about um, 
the, the primary mission or the primary motivation that we have as a church family here at Family Bible Church. Um, some of the things that we've been talking about for probably better than a year and, and more, I think it's kind of always what we're trying to work out. Not so much on a Sunday morning, we're preaching the gospel or preaching the whole of scripture. We're trying to do, you know, honor the word of God and, and conform to it. But so much of what we do as a church, we really struggle to try to figure out what we're supposed to be doing together. Like, how we live this out is really where the rubber meets the road. To get together and, and just talk about these things and not apply them is, is worthless. It's useless, right? Um, I think James said something like, it's, you're, you're, uh, it's, it's, you know, the worst thing of all to come and to reflect in the word of God and go away unchanged. It's meant to be applied and lived out. And so that's probably our biggest uh, challenge, not in a bad way, that we try to do all the time is live that out. So some questions that I have is, you know, why, why, are, why is Family Bible Church here, right? Or um, what are we supposed to be doing? These are questions we can ask all the time. Or how might that look? And, and so today, um, I want to talk about this, this core tenet, which should be true, I believe, for any Christian church, not just Family Bible. And then maybe some, some things that we're doing, not too specifically, but the things that we're called to do as a church to respond to that. I'm going to read uh, this morning for you. I'm going to find my little clickery thingy here, see if we're hooked up. But I'm going to read uh, scripture this morning with you, and I hope you'll turn with me. It's John 17. While you're turning, I'm going to tell you a little story, but go ahead and grab a Bible if you don't have one and flip to John 17. It's on page 751 if you're borrowing one of our Bibles. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, talk to us. We want you to have your own Bible. So um, be sure to say something to myself or one of the leadership team members after service this morning. But John 17 is interesting to me because many of us were raised in the church to learn what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? And, and many of us ha were just taught to recite that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Very valuable, very profound prayer. And yet what's really striking to me about the Lord's Prayer is this, that the Lord's Prayer, we call the Lord's Prayer, and yet the, the, the prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer is the one that Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. So in my mind, when I think of the Lord's Prayer, meaning the Lord Jesus the Christ, right, I think of John 17. And I just want to hear the words of Christ this morning. It begins this way. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Because you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given to him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus the Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And Jesus continues, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. See, I want you to hear all the relationships happening here. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you gave, you have given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray now for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, because they belong to you. All that I have is yours, and all that you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. 
Oh, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Listen to Jesus' prayer. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy inside of them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them from the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them also into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself, that they, may, they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not only for them. Hear the shift. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them might be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me and they may, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me might be in them and I myself might be in them. Now, I know for some of you, you were probably thinking halfway through that prayer, is he going to read the whole thing? You know? I was wondering myself. But there's something to this. I, I wanted you to see this the prayer of Jesus, right? And, and what strikes me about this prayer is he says, this is the way I'm going to pray for those who are following me. And he breaks, breaks this down to kind of when he's, when he's talking to the Father about who he is, about who Jesus is. And then when he starts to talk about who, who we are in Christ, and there's a couple of themes. I know you can get in there, and we could really pick this thing apart, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but you could really walk through every word of this, and there's such profound meaning in, in, in every sentence and every word. But I want you to see kind of the big sketch here, what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this kind of oneness, this kind of connectedness. You'll remember that what he told the people who didn't understand the message of the cross, that didn't understand the, the message of the Messiah, he told them that you don't know the Father. That's what he told them all the time. If you knew the Father, you would know me. And the same is true now. And so when he's talking to us, he's saying, or in this prayer, he's saying to the Father, he's saying, may, may they be in me as I am in you and you are in me, that we all might be joined together. Okay? And... Um, and so that's the first thing I want you to see is that that constant relationship he's talking about, how these, these three 
relationships are all melded together, our relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to the Son. We'll get back into a few of those other thoughts that he has in there about who we are and what our purpose is in the world. But this, this kind of concept or this idea that we're driving toward a family Bible church, and I believe that any, any Christian church really is, 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 I mean, there's lots of, I guess there's lots of little caveats you can get off into, but the primary purpose is to restore relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I mean, our, our, our primary desire is for each person to know Jesus and to have that prayer be the prayer that he prayed over you 2,000 years ago. That that prayer, whenever he said that those you have given me in the world would be about you and me. That when we go out and we, we've been talking about sharing the gospel of Jesus with people, that we know that when we're doing that great commission and the promise of Christ, that we understand that he prayed that prayer that for those who might believe their message, those that he sent, you and me. That Jesus was praying for all of us in this time, this place. You see, I, I, it seems silly to make a big deal about why we're Christians, but here's the problem. I feel like in so many ways, this idea of being a Christian is watered down, you know? I feel like there's so many different things that we can talk about with what it means to be a Christian. And every time, I don't know if you're like me, but every time I see like someone has a cross around their neck, or they have a fish on their car, or, or they have a, a, a religious shirt, or they have a, whatever it is, they have something in their life that's, that's, that's you know, they have a statue outside their house. And I want to know, because here's the thing, we would say we're Christians, but I want to know, do you believe what I believe about Jesus? Or do we believe the same things about the Messiah? Because as I see it, that becomes what Christians are all about. And sometimes we just, we're way too, you know, uh, free with that idea of just, you know, oh yeah, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we're all Christians. But there's something to be said for these words that we say so cheaply and the price that was paid to prove their value, their holiness. I'm going to show you something that happens in the book of Acts. And this comes in the, um, the 17th, uh, or the 11th chapter of Acts. And this is some theology about why we're Christians, OK? You don't have to turn there. You probably want to stay in John if you want. But I think I have it here on the screens, maybe. Maybe. Why? Why not? Push forward. Let's go. There we go. All right. So here, here's what, so this is what Acts 11, uh, 19 to 26 says. It says more than this, by the way, I'll, I'll confess that these ellipses, dot, dot, dots, are for clarity, but I can trust, trust me, if you read the whole thing, it'll say the same thing, just have some more words in between there, okay? So it says, some of them, that's the believers, right, the diaspora, those who were, who were you know, kind of spread whenever, what happened, whenever Stephen was stricken as a martyr, the first martyr of the church, the Christians were scattered, and some of them began to speak telling others the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to see all the words in there. So some of them began to go out into all the world making disciples. They began to tell others the good news about the Lord, right? Kyrios, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, their master, the, the person in charge of their lives. And this comes as they're scattered throughout the area. Continues. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned, repented, toward Christ. 
toward the Lord. And this is the story of the church being spread out in the world. Now, I'm saying all these things because it's a big deal because here's what happens next in the 11th chapter of Acts. It says, these disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You see, and, and therefore, if we look at this passage of Scripture and what it has to say, whatever we would like to define Christian as now, you know, as nice guys or as, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is, you know, people who wear crosses, or I mean, whatever it is that we think it is, here in the Bible, there's a definition of what it means to be a Christian. And I want, you to, I want us to look at what they were doing as they were dispersed in the world. This wasn't like a sending out where it was, it, was, it was a crazy disbursement. But they were out, and all they needed to do was tell people the good news. And the ellipses, one of those ellipses, the dot, dot, dots, was actually where they started to tell not just Jews but Gentiles about the Messiah. They were telling everybody about Jesus, their Lord, their Master. And the word says, as you read with me, that his hand was with them. And because Christ's hand was with them, many believed, and many turned to him. In this place, in this way, these people, these disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. I've told you all before that Christians means little Christs. But one of the words I think we have to understand the meaning of is the word Christ. I often say, as you know, Jesus the Christ, because it's the Messiah. It's the same thing, the anointed one, the one that Scripture promised. And so in this way, he is the fulfillment of every promise that God ever made. Jesus is. Nobody else is. Jesus is the promise. So in, in um, I think it's in Antioch, whenever someone looks at these people and says, oh, look at those, they meant little anointed ones. These people actually believe that Jesus is Lord. These people actually believe that Jesus is trying to save the world, or, or saving the world. These people actually believe that they have good news to share with a lost and hurting world. These people actually believe it. They're Christians. But all these years, we've kind of watered those things down. And, and we've made it church. Because see, now church, I told you, big C church, little C church. But the big C church is the church of Jesus Christ. These are the ones that, that he prays over in John 17 and says, says, I knew them and you gave them to me. This is the big C church. And then we have these little C churches, and that's just like the letter little C, you know? But, but that's those of, these little kind of organizations that we try to put together around the gospel of Christ. Family Bible Church is one of those. And so Christians, the anointed ones, are what makes up the church. And, and um, so, so many of the little seed churches have become about, and we could do it too, Family Bible. Don't, don't, don't think for a minute we couldn't get off in a ditch about something else. Have become about other things, about, about, about trivial, silly, goofy stuff, rather than Jesus, the Messiah the fulfillment of scripture. And so little church, little C churches can get off track and they become, become all other things, all kind of manner of nonsense, but nothing about the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, about the, the need to be in prayer. You know, those songs this morning were, were tremendously heartbreaking, weren't they? 
that if we're not before God ourselves, if we're not crying out, if we're not full of his Holy Spirit, we're not the church. We're a little C country club or something. You know what I mean? And I'm not picking on anybody because, like I said, we got the same problems as everybody else. We can get off in a ditch. So here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our obligation as a church, as a little C church and the big C church, to, to, to make everything turn back to Christ Jesus. Everything connect back to Jesus Christ and the gospel, the truth of the message of Jesus. We've been talking about this for a while in the leadership team here and about, about what this might look like, but it's the idea of Jesus being the center, the core, the fundamental purpose of what we're doing, of why we're doing it. And the moment that anything else, anything else becomes to usurp or, or remove his authority as the center purpose and role in our church, we should be disbanded. We, we should, there is nothing else that is worth my life or your life or our time and worship, but the promises of Jesus. And so, so that's kind of what we're talking about today, is this idea of Jesus-centered ministry, Jesus-centered church life, what this looks like for us individually and for us as a, as a body, as a group of believers everywhere we go. I'll remind you of another passage we had last week came from the Gospel of John. And, and this comes when he, Thomas, he tells Thomas, I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you. And Thomas says, how can we get there? And this is what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and this is one of those passages you hear quoted a lot these days because we, we have such a, a, a lighthearted tendency to say, yeah, whatever works for you is fine. You know? As if that was okay with Jesus to begin with. As if he was like, yeah, sure, any, any road, you know, all roads lead there. He never said these things. He said, no one gets to the Father except through me. Everyone must know me to know the Father. These are exclusive statements that he made. And these are statements he made to Thomas about how Thomas could know he would get where he's going, where Jesus is going. The same is true for you and for me. In the prayer we read earlier of Jesus, the 17th chapter of John. I want to point out a couple of different things. But in verse, in verse 21, uh, let me see here, 20 and 21, I think, is what I'm looking at. 21, 22. That they may be one as you are in me, as I am you. May they also be in us that the world might believe that you sent me. May they be in us that the world might believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And so, again, we have this unity in Christ Jesus. And then picking up in 25, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me can be in them. And Jesus says this really crazy thing, and that I can be in them also. So he kind of wraps up his prayer with the idea that, that we would be in Christ, that you and I would be in Christ Jesus. This idea of Jesus-centered life, you know. We're going to use the word ministry for the life of the church, but just life. Your life, my life, revolving around Christ. 
I'll share another passage of scripture with you. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a young man, a young leader in the church named Timothy. And he makes this profound comment about Christ and about Timothy's call. He says this. He says, there is but one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is one of those things that whenever I was a kid always bugged me, you know? It always bothered me that somehow in order to get to God, I had to go to a person, you see? And I saw the cross, and I saw Jesus on it, but I was constantly told by people that if, but if you want to know that, you have to come through me. And I think that's extra biblical. I don't believe that's the gospel. I think the gospel is that the disciples ran around saying to people, if you know Jesus as Messiah, you know the Father. And they were like not in the way. They were on the way. They weren't in the way. Does this make sense? And, and so for any one of us to stand and say, yeah, you need to know it, but you need to know it for me, that's, that's not biblical. And I wouldn't say that to you either, myself. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you know him as Messiah, as Lord of your life, then you have all these things in Christ. You have the, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have, you have this, this restlessness or this, uh, we talked about, um, uh, what was it when I came back from D.C. last, this, this unsettled feeling, you know. Um, we have all these things that, because God puts them in us to work themselves out. And so for anyone that would stand between you, now hear me out, and your relationship with God, that's a flaw. That's not the gospel. I love that Paul says here, there's one mediator. There's one mediator between God and mankind. That's humankind, that's anthropos, all people. And this is the man, the person, Jesus, the Messiah. He's the only one that you need to know to know the Father. And this becomes the root, the core, the gospel of the church of Jesus Christ. Know Jesus today, and you'll know the Father. And see, here's the thing. We talk about this stuff. I mean, a lot, right? And when we practice it more and more, I hope, in our lives, and yet sometimes it doesn't really work that way. It doesn't, it, it, we, we go, that's good, that makes sense in the Bible, but how does, that, how does that, you know, what does that mean for us? And we just don't really apply it or make the effort to apply it. So I want to I kind of talk um, kind of about a crazy idea about maybe some of the, um, some of the potential structures that you, you, we can think about we think about how this stuff works then, because I don't believe that we're to forsake the church at all. The church is the bride of Christ, and Christ is the head of the church. That's what the word says. And, and so we're, we're, we're glory to him. We're beautiful to him. But the question is, what are we called to do? How do we do this? And, and some of what has happened in my time here at Family Bible Church since I came in a few years ago is that there's been a lot of questions about, well, how does this really work? What does this look like? And I, I think most of you would agree with me that... that I don't know what the percentage is. I'm going to make up a percentage and it'll be a lie, but a large percentage of the churches, the little C churches, are like this. If you were thinking about God in that hierarchy at all, you would say, God, Jesus, pastor, 
maybe staff or staff. You with me? Church. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, laity. <laughs> Layman. Lame. Man. Okay. And would you agree that most of the people do this model? If they leave God, if they leave God out, they can leave God out as a country club, and this is the president and CEO, and this is the board of directors, and then here's all the little minions, you know, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And it creates this kind of, it looks like an arrow, it looks like it would glorify God, it looks like it would have a purpose in his kingdom, and I'm not saying God hasn't used those structures, for God, heaven's sakes, you know, we're here because of those structures in so many ways, and yet, I wonder, what does it really look like? Because that creates this kind of funnel effect, that to get to Jesus, you all have to go through the leadership team, or the pastor or the worship leader, you, you have to somehow, you have to somehow, you know, oh, just squeeze through that hole. You just get the pinnacle. You got to climb that mountain. You got to aspire to be more, to be empowered, to, to have the right gifts or talents, to have the right opportunity, to wait for someone to give you a chance to serve the God of the universe who breathed life into you. Do you see what I'm saying? And it becomes this bottleneck, this unholy, awful bottleneck in the church of Jesus Christ, as he pours his spirit out on us. And so we were talking, well, what does this look like, or what, what can this be if it's not this kind of hierarchical thing? I want you to turn with me to another passage of Scripture. And this is going to be our last big kind of passage for the day. It's coming from 1 Corinthians just turn to the first opening chapter of 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians is an awesome book. It's written to the church in Corinth by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to straighten out some matters of doctrine, some things that have gotten goofy on, you know, in the time since they planted that church. But I'm going to read a couple, from the, a couple of verses from the first chapter, and then we're going to jump on to the third chapter of this book. Because I love Paul's approach to this ministry model, what it looks like to be Jesus-centered, to be Christ-centered, to have Jesus be the Lord, the master, the ruler of this church. So we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 1, and this is what Paul says. He says, after his opening, you know, introduction there, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And by this I mean, one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, another says, I follow Cephas, another says, I follow Christ. And then he asks this question in 13. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? He asks these questions like, Are you, is this really what, is this the gospel that I shared with you? By the way, just before that, in this letter of Corinthians, I mean to say this for a while, but he says, I give thanks to you. What does he say? I always thank God for you because of the grace that he's given you in Messiah Jesus. You know, when I think about family Bible, that's my heart all the time is, wow, praise God. I thank God for all of you and the work that he's doing in your life. 
not for my benefit, but for his glory. I, I just give him praise and glory. I'm amazed, amazed at the way he's moving and working among us. But then Paul says this, he's, and, and this is usually a passage we teach about divisions in the church, you know, about factions, and we don't really have those. You might go, why? I mean, right now, right? You know, but you might go, why are we teaching things? Because we still have that language, don't we? We still have that thing where we say with them, we say, yeah, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Do you remember who Cephas was, by the way? Not Bo Cephas. Do you remember who Cephas is? Right? Peter? And so they're all kind of making their claim to the apostle, the super apostles, right? They're telling Paul, well, I'm, I'm following that guy because he's the coolest guy ever, you know? And Paul asked a question in 13. He said, did Paul die for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He could ask more questions. Are you empowered by the spirit of Paul? Can you scrape enough Paul off of Paul's arms to become a super apostle for a day? We can't do these things. Why? Because it's in Jesus Christ that we have our salvation. It's in Jesus Christ that we have our empowerment. It's in Jesus Christ that we have the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul's begging the question, and he's saying, what do you say? I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. In case you don't believe me, flip ahead to the third chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, because he makes it clear. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. He says, brothers, I could not address you, at that time he means, as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. You see, there's kind of a journey from the world to the kingdom of God. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. Oh, here comes Paul. Indeed, you are still not ready, he says. You are still worldly. Because since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere mortals? Because when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus, Apollos, are you not being mere men? What after all is Apollos? And what after all is Paul? Hear the word of God. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So that neither he who plants nor he who, who waters is anything, but God, but only God is who makes things grow. The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, because we are God's co-workers, we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field you are God's building. You are the church. You see what he's saying? And I love that the Apostle Paul had the tenacity, the clarity, the wisdom, the insight, the Holy Spirit's conviction to say, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am worthless, except that I'm a laborer for Jesus Christ. And, and, and I just feel like a lot of people... And, and um, we can get into, you know, little seat churches where a lot of people aren't willing to take that role. They're just, just, all we're doing is pointing to Jesus. Paul says that we are nothing at all. But then he says this, but God is everything. God's the one that makes it work. So here's what, here's what I want to talk, here's what I want to say as we close today. <clears throat> 
Okay? This is the biblical model of following Jesus as the big C church. They were all co-laborers. They were all co-workers in the kingdom work that he's doing among us. They were all obedient to his spirit and his, his seat. I want to say at the table because he's the center of our work. But the question that I have is, so what might this look like then? If it's not this kind of hierarchy, I told you what it's not. If this isn't it, you know? I mean, at best we could say, you know, Jesus and then all of us here. But here's what, here's what we've been thinking about. And here's what I want you to think about as you reflect on what your call is. And whether it's at Family Bible Church or not, it's this, this is biblically true. And I'd love to talk to you if you believe this. No, it's not true biblically. Biblically true that Jesus Christ is our only link to God the Father, and therefore, whatever we're doing in our life, whatever ministry we're partaking in or anything else, we should always be connected to Jesus first. The table sits around Jesus. Now, see, so we have something here at Family Bible called the leadership team, but we believe as a leadership team that we sit around Jesus Christ. We aren't the CEOs. We aren't the executives. We are servants of the living God. And that means also that, that other, um, any other teams at Family Bible Church that are connected to the leadership team here are also in the same kind of methodology. They're the same relationship to their Savior. That, that every person who's leading in any capacity, whether it's from the blast ministry or whether it's from you know, doing load-in or pulling the trailer, that somehow our, that we gather around Jesus. And that might sound goofy to you guys, because you guys, well, of course, the leadership team, you guys need to gather around Jesus because, you know, you got the real spiritual work to do. It's all spiritual work. Do you know what I'm saying? What does this look like? This looks like if there's a problem with the trailer, the first thing we do is consult the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. We got a flat. What are we going to do? Let's talk to Jesus for a minute, and then, you know, we'll make the best plan we can have. I mean, this is the, the modus operandi. This is the, the normal functioning of the church. This means that whenever there's a crisis on a team in the church, rather than constantly reaching outside of the team to try to hope that some expert can come in and make it all right and fix everything else, that we would turn, we'd be on our knees, we'd get before the sovereign God of the universe and say, God, we got a problem here. And that he would come in and give us the solution. And here's the kick. Everyone gets to glorify God. I mean, everyone gets to say, wow, wasn't that cool? We had no idea that it would work that way. This requires walking in faith, not in sight. This requires a model that many of the world would say, that won't work. Centralizing our leadership around Jesus Christ as the big C church, and even the little C church here, it means that Jesus is the first person that we turn to in times of need, and it means he's the last authority we listen to when it's time for a decision. It means when he says it, we obey. Even if the world would say that doesn't make sense. Something else this does is not only does it put Jesus at the center, but it decentralizes any man, any one person's power and authority. No, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you're going to lord it over each other. If you, have any, if you have any real authority, you're going to lord it over each other. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Serve one another. So this is our call, to not be the center, to be serving like everyone else. I 
And I'll, I'll share one thing. We don't believe we've thought something up brilliant here. But what I'm trying to explain to you, because many people ask, what in the world, how does this thing work? We're trying to kind of make that make sense, <laughs> okay? And so as much as this construct that we've come up with, even if this Jesus-centered construct where kind of every, you know, Christ is all in all and all these teams are connected to Jesus first and then we're connected to each other and we're working these things out and we're praying together and we're discerning together. As much as all these things are working that they're flawed, it's because there's some kind of a man-made, you know, man-made limitation, right, on the ability to see it clearly. But the, the truth is there that it's Christ who is working among us. It's Jesus who is sovereign over his church. And it's his will and his work that we should be doing and not our own. The third thing this kind of provides is some fluidity and movement. I've said this to anyone I've talked to, not only in this church, I've talked to other groups and people in other situations, and I get tired of hearing this from people. Whenever I get the chance, whenever someone recognizes my giftedness, whenever someone invites me to get up and play, whenever someone puts me in the game, I'll go. And I get frustrated because I want to say, Jesus has already said it. Go. You know? I mean, Jesus already said, get in the game. There's no excuses. I'm not sure who you're waiting for to recognize you. The sovereign king of the universe has done it. He's empowered you. I say that to students who are studying for their major field of study. They're going to wait until they're out to make a difference. Make a difference now. Follow Jesus now. And in this way, we become empowered to move and to shift and to grow and to journey and to live and to lead and to follow and to be part of the work of Jesus Christ. And it goes beyond Family Bible Church. That means if you sense that he's moving your life beyond Family Bible Church, praise God. Come talk to us. Let us bless that. Let us pray with you about that. Let us discern that he's calling you into this other thing, this other work, this other field. But let's not do it by accident. Let's just let's let, let him work in our midst in that way. It means that we don't believe that we have the, the totality of Jesus wrapped up in our little body, but we're part of it, and we're part of his work. And then it succeeds in this idea of sending and making disciples who make disciples, making disciples who make disciples. Go into all the world, baptizing and teaching to obey. It all comes back to Jesus. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure that if you're sitting here today, I'm not sure any of that was like making sense to you. And I know they have a lot of like visual aids and stuff, you know, but I, I, I really wanted us to be thinking and reflecting and praying. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you that if you're on mission with us, if you're in a Bible church, I want you to wrestle with that. You know, I love the passage where Jacob wrestles with God. He, he wrestles for a blessing, the word says, and a new name. He waits for it all night. And he won't let go. And I'm going to invite you to, to wrestle with this and ask, is this, you know, what do we, do I want to be part of a work? Do I want to be, do I want to struggle? Do I want to, do I want to grow? Do I want to really follow Christ and what he's calling me to do? And discern that together. So that's the first thing, just to join, you know, join us in the conversation. And then talk about it, you know, if you, there's something that you go, man, that sounds wacky. You know, or that's been doing this way for a long time for a reason. It works. You know, talk, let's talk about that. Because we don't believe that we have all the wisdom in the room. And you can be part of that wisdom as well. And then the last thing is just to pray about this and ask that question. We look at the church. <laughs> we talk about the church. Do we see it like Jesus sees it? 
Uh, do we see it like Paul writes about it when he says that you are the church, you are the body of Christ? I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer at this time. Lord Jesus, um, you intervened in our lives at a time where we were not expecting maybe what we got in you. We were, we were not seeing fully. We were worldly. We were cloudy. And yet you continually draw us in. You continually pull us closer to your purpose and your plan for our life. I pray, Father, for every spirit here today who's discerning, who's asking, who's longing to know your purpose, your plan, your direction, that you would provide it, that you would show not enough for the next five or 10 or 20 years, but maybe enough for tomorrow, enough so we know to move forward on something. Father, for those who don't know you at all, I pray that your spirit will continue to push and prod and compel them toward the grace of Jesus Christ. The one who would come and sit with us right where we are and say, I love you. I'll die for you. I'll make your relationship right with my Father. I pray that if we don't know that today, we'd receive it today, that we would really believe it, that we would live into the reality of being part of the kingdom. And then, Father, in every way, this little C church where we're working hard and we're trying to figure out what you're calling us to do, that you would provide clarity, unity, purpose, vision, direction, focus. And at the end of the day, we could do what your word compels us to do, which is to raise up the name of Jesus as Lord and Master and Sovereign, holy, worthy, that all men might be drawn to him, that everyone might come to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the saints who come before us. We thank you for the fact that by grace, through faith, we've been saved. I give you these prayers and offerings and blessings and concerns in the name of the one who is completely able. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.